Welcome to Ashland University's Professional Learning Podcast. This is your host, Dr. David Silverberg. Jim Mahoney is with us today. He was Battelle for Kids' first executive director. He served in that position for 15 years. He also co-authored the book, Data-Driven Decisions in School Leadership, and has won many awards. Here are some of them. He was inducted into the Hall of Fame at Ohio State University's College of Education and Human Ecology. He won the School Leadership in Public Innovation Award at, the Ohio, at Ohio University, won the President's Award by the Ohio School Boards Association, was the Ohio Superintendent Outstanding Performance Award winner, and also is named Educator of the Year by Ohio Association of Local School Superintendents. So thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Jim. Hey, glad to be here. Well, I know that over the course of your years at Battelle, your work impacted more than 6 million students and more than 400,000 educators nationwide, and you've done so many different things. We really look forward to getting your uh, insights about what's going on in the world of education today, now, and as you see it moving forward into the future. Okay. You want me to just start with the pandemic? Let's just start with the obvious. Go for it. Okay. Because I've thought about this. And I thought, first of all, is this going to be an interruption or a disruption? And we don't know how it's unfolding. An interruption, I would define as when it's over, we will have done some other things, but then we'll kind of go back to how we were. A disruption is it'll never be the same when we go back. And I would suggest that the longer we stay out of actual physical buildings, the more disruptive this is going to be. And whether or not it becomes one or the other will take place based upon what happens with the virus. As we all hope, if there's therapies that are developed soon, we find out that there's greater immunity on, that people have that make them resistant to this. All that may mitigate this sooner rather than later. And for people's sake, I hope that's true. If it's not, then uh, I think we're in for, at least on the education side, a total disruption. But let me think, I I thought about three things that I think about what kids need now and whether or not it's disrupted, they're always going to need. They have academic needs and it's about learning and they have social emotional needs. It's about connections to individuals, to other people. So I don't think those three needs are ever going to change. And what we've tried to do in this interlude is, can we do this using video technology? And people have, uh, it's been interesting to watch. I've been cataloging uh, ideas from people because on the one hand, I watch people who take the technology and try to do exactly what they used to do. So they're just using the new medium to do what they were gonna do anyhow. And then there are other people who are saying, no, I'm going to take this new technology and I'm going to use it in ways that weren't intended. Let me give you a couple of real examples, concrete. I'll take a college professor at a small private college who did not use technology at all. And he was worried about this because they had to finish the rest of the semester. So he talked with a colleague who said, look, I know you give great lectures. I'll just video you giving the lectures. You give the lectures. He said, it's perfect. I'm going to retire this year. This is what I want to do because I don't want to figure out how I can do this and type, but okay. So he did what he's always done. He's very good at it, and that's how he did it. And then we start taking, I've seen in the K-12 sector, teachers who have said, look, I'm going to be a guide on the side now. We've often talked about that, 
but now they're really doing it. Now they're spending time putting together short YouTubes. They're making some, they're including activities for kids. In other words, they're putting together lessons that are different than if they had the kids and they're using the technology to do this and they're learning. So I think how this goes, it's very imperfect right now. Even if you're a school system and you have technology, you have the internet, you're still learning to how to, how to deal with this. If it were disruptive and we don't go back to school for several months, then you're going to have no choice but to figure out how to do this. Because doing what you've been doing, just using different ways, it just doesn't work. So, but in this interlude, we have people who are experimenting. They're trying. That old line about necessity as the mother of invention, it's true. And we're seeing lots of different possibilities emerge from this. So as I think about what kids need, the academic, social, and emotional, they still need relevancy. They need connection. I worry about connection, just physical touch. Can you have a connection using Zoom and all those you can? Is it the same as being with friends and networking? I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's the same. But again, all of this is an experiment in real time. So I think that the, the other thing that I worry about with all this is I grew up in a rural area. And if I take the little rural high school I went to compared to what would have been the most high-performing suburban district, and the kids from that school and my high school went to college together, there might have been a crack between the differences. And I say a crack, not one that certainly couldn't be overcome. If we do this now for any length of time, there won't be a crack. There'll be a canyon. It won't be a learning gap. It'll be a learning canyon. Because even in the area where I grew up, it was reported in the Columbus Dispatch, the percentage of people that have high-speed internet where I grew up, zero. That's an easy number to remember. So I think particularly of the Appalachian area, there are lots of areas that do not have high-speed internet, and many times you can't make a phone call. So if you begin to think about, well, I'm going to take use of this technology, you, you can see the obvious that's going to happen. So I worry about that. The same way in the 1930s, we created electric co-ops for rural areas to bring electricity. We need the same thing now. And I'm hopeful that in these infrastructure bills, et cetera, if you're a governor and ours has done a great job, but if you're talking about remote learning, you've got to include everybody. And, right and the now, longer this goes on, yeah, the longer this goes on, the wider that gap to get, becomes, doesn't it? And then the question becomes, do we pass these kids on to the next school year or not? Or how do those transitions become supported? I know the governor has talked about what he quoted uh, Churchill as saying, this is the end of the beginning, so there's another phase that's coming. How well do you think the districts out there in general are, are prepared for this kind of transitioning that's going to be coming? Well, I think for this initial one, all of us were caught off guard. And I think superintendents and school districts have done an incredible job in trying in a very limited time period to put things together. And now it's sorting itself out and they're doing what they do well. And, and But if it's to be for the long term, and then I hear what I think will probably happen, probably shouldn't say this because it sounds predictive and no one knows. But if I think about this disruption or interruption, I think what we're going to have is some hybrid that, no, that, that kids may come back to school, but it'll be in a different kind of arrangement than maybe what we had. But we've learned some tools using virtual and remote learning 
that aren't going to go away. And people are still going to want to use those. So whether it's assignments for kids, I mean, it's like uh, many school districts have a one-to-one initiative. Well, giving everybody an iPad doesn't change learning. It's what you give to go with it. And we've had some experiments now in what to go with it. So I think that we will have learned a lot. And there may well be this blended hybrid approach because we may find it perfectly suitable for other parts, whether it's enrichment for kids or different things. But this, this has really caused us in ways that I don't think would have to use technology. And I know that in one of your keynote topics, you talk about becoming a magic dragon, a selfless leader. How well do you think, how prepared do you think leaders are out there for this kind of leadership moment? And what would, you, what would your advice be to leaders out there right now? Well, you know, there's the fear from uncertainty, but then it would be to embrace it. It's like, I can't change all the conditions that surround this, but I can do what I can do with inside that. And this will offer some opportunities. There's never been a crisis ever that didn't also include some opportunities. And I'm not being Pollyannish about it. It's, there's a wonderful, uh, you may have seen it. it, makes me think of there was a segment on the firing line with William F. Buckley. And he's interviewing Mortimer Adler, the education psychologist. And if you remember that show, William Buckley, that wry sense of humor, he would ask people questions that would lead them down a road to get them where he wanted them. And one of the questions he finally said to Adler, he said, you really believe all kids can learn? To which Adler didn't hesitate and said, why is it that you don't? I'd rather live with my hope than with your doubt. So I'm not Pollyannish about this hope but we learn to adjust. And in that adjustment, we do things imperfectly, but we figure some things out. And it's the teachers who are doing this because this is being done in basements and living rooms with teachers trying to figure out whether they're using a platform that was designed just for that school district or they can or can't use Zoom, different ones. They're trying to figure out how to connect. And I can tell you, in rural areas, I know what they're doing. They're delivering food on buses. And I can tell you, for many superintendents, their first and most important act was not what are kids going to learn. I want to make sure I support the basic needs. And when I take lots of school where kids are getting two-thirds of their meals during the week from that school, they want, so they have done that. That's a basic need. So many of them have quickly supported that piece first. So I think there's lots of things going on. It's like any, any event that's very traumatic, you get through it first. And it's after you're through it, then you reflect on, well, what did I learn from it? I used to say that life is the opposite of school. In school, you get the lesson and the test. In life, you get the test and then the lessons. And we're going through the test right now. And there'll be lots of lessons about preparedness and use of t- all these things. That will happen. You know, and I know you've also uh, written quite a bit also about what I would call confidence. I know that you have that neat story about Red Brick Hill and how you developed confidence uh, going to your grandmother's house at nine years old. I love this quote, to develop confidence, you need to successfully complete something hard. Is this that kind of time? Yeah, it is. And it is for adults too. And it is for me. I'm going through this. This is a change. But for adults and groups of kids, it's, it's, it's really hard. But when they emerge on the other side and they begin to think, hey, I've learned some things, you get that confidence 
when you have to grow competence. And there's been a lot of people that have been able to discard technology and say, oh, I don't need to do that. I won't. But now they're realizing this is their only lifeline. And then there's embracers. And I don't think it's about age. So we get into generations. Look, I've seen people with lots of experience embrace new ideas and learn technology and do it. And I saw people who grew up on that. That doesn't necessarily make you uh, a teacher with creative uses of it. And, you know, I know you do a lot in your presentations with humor. You're known for your humor and your magic and your storytelling. How do people bring, is there a place for humor in this? Is there, is there an opportunity for some, some magic and some storytelling? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, it's interesting that you can, I think it's in, it, it's in spots now. One of the things, like I would, I would do much shorter things and then give people a chance to respond. People want to engage. And going back to, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes if you can't laugh about something, you will just give up and cry. And part of this is to not completely lose your sense of humor over this. And, and as you watch various things, you can see it, you know, from people who can't get their hair colored to haircuts to a whole host of things and are rolling with it and laughing with it. But at the end of the day, we want, we want to emerge, this, emerge from this healthier, safer, smarter, with minimum real damage done to human beings. You know, I know you've done a lot. I totally agree. And that takes me to this, this thought I have about culture and school culture. And you've talked about different parts of the state and different needs in different parts of the state. I know one of your, the topics that you speak on is culture over strategy. Boy, there's a lot of opportunity for strategy <clears throat> talk here. How do we maintain that balance? And, and again, what's your advice to superintendents, principals, or others that are feeling that, that this is a lot of culture and strategy at the same time? How do they prioritize? You know what? Part of the way you can do this is just look around. Let's just look. Without pointing out governors and various leaders, how leaders respond. For example, in a crisis, well, let's use one governor. One governor prior to this had very low approval ratings. Not the one in Ohio. Had a very low approval rating. Was known as being pushy, a bit of a bully. And now all of a sudden, looks like a million dollars because in a crisis, sometimes you need that. Somebody said, we're going to push forward and get this done. And then we have people who are able to demonstrate incredible empathy because people want to know you know how they feel. So as you look around, that isn't any different for people who work in a school district. From their leaders in a crisis, they have different needs. They want empathy, somebody who understands. They want somebody who's going to help push through this and that we're going to get through this. So I think those things are, uh, I'm going to argue, more important than the strategy. It's the affect that you bring to this. The strategy become all those tactics. But at the end of the day, it's not just the tactics that people want to hear about. It's more than just the tactics. And that in part, uh, for me, it's hard to divorce the culture from the leader because you're setting what that culture looks like and the expectations you have, and the understanding and ability to communicate. I often say people are down on what they're not up on. And in times like this, if you don't communicate regularly, I guarantee it, people will think the worst. They want communicated with. And all those pieces matter in creating a culture so when you get on the other side of this, because it, it's not much different than, I think it was Maya Angelou, that quote about, you know, over time people forget what we say. They often forget 
what we do, but they rarely forget how we made them feel. And showing up matters. I, I, I often tell leaders this. Gallup has done a study of thousands of followers. And they say followers want four things from leaders. And I think these four things are even more so in a time like this. Number one, they want stability. Not the up and down, I'm going to be there. I'm going to see us through this. We have a team who's working on this. They want hope. And hope isn't some wishful thinking. It's being very realistic about problems that we have. It's not overlooking them. But it's suggesting that tomorrow can be better. But they want hope. They want stability. I have to stop and think here for a minute. They want trust. So they want to believe that what you say, they can believe. And then last of all, they want compassion. They want to know that you care. So those are the four things that Gallup uh, uh, has repeated many, many times in studies. And I think that's, that's even more so. And that's not a bad formula for leaders to think about when they get ready to communicate and when they get ready to do things. Because they used to say sometimes, uh, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you do. I'll tell you what you believe. So those actions really do matter. So I think those are four things for leaders to think about, but it's the culture that you're creating as to how you get through this. Well, you've presented a lot of really helpful direction for us today in trying to piece this through. I see you as a sense maker for us and for people that want to follow up with you to to get your feedback or thoughts on what they're doing locally at their district and the impact that they're trying to have, what's the best way for somebody to contact you? Either through just regular email or they can go to my website, Jim W. Mahoney, and they can get me there. And again, I'm really, I'm optimistic when we get on the other side of this, as long as it doesn't take a human toll more than, than we could have ever have imagined. But in the end, we can be, we will learn some things about ourselves and about our kids. And I think the other part that's happening, you see it, it's just how much people genuinely care. And you see this with healthcare workers and their importance. And I think we're reminded of that of people who get into this, who genuinely care about public service. They did it to make a difference. And there are times like this when you realize how valuable they are and how those qualities of connection and things matter. Well, you're a tremendous role model for all of us, Jim, as we try and maintain the optimism and, and hope and effort moving forward. Thank you for your time today. Okay, thank you. Take care. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons.